welcome to Dogs On Air, the podcast that focuses on you and your dog. In my work as a dog trainer, I'm learning more all the time about dogs and, of course, about their owners. Scientists, vets and behaviourists are also learning more about where dogs came from and why they do what they do. In this podcast, I want to share with you all the things I'm discovering and have some fun along the way too. Come along with me. This is Dogs On Air. Hello, I'm Tracy Clark Sullivan and thank you for joining me this time. In this edition, we'll be looking forward to Crufts. We'll be talking about a different aspect of dog nutrition and as promised, we find out more about Battersea's Muddy Dog Challenge. From the 10th to the 13th of March, the NEC in Birmingham becomes a magnet for those that have anything to do with dogs. Crufts features some of the top show dogs in the world and a host of commercial exhibitors offering anything you could want for your dog. But is that all that Crufts is all about? To find out the answer to that question, I'm joined by Bill Lambert from the Kennel Club. Hello. Hi, Tracy. So Crufts, is it more than just show dogs? Well, it is, of course. It is the world's the world's greatest dog show. Always has been since it since it's uh, it started, um, and it's been going uh, for many many years now. But Carl, Charles Craft, who effectively was the founder of the show, he always explained it or described it as an extravaganza for dogs. And I think that's what we have actually achieved today. It really is an extravaganza. Yes, at its heart, it is a dog show, but it is a great dog event. And, and for our, from our perspective, it's really an educational event because it's the place you can come and find out everything about dogs everything about owning a dog and all the things that you should ever want to know about having a dog owning a dog training a dog feeding a dog walking a dog everything you can possibly want to know so it's been a very fast changing few years i think in the dog world um and there have been many people who never thought or even dreamed of owning a dog for good or bad uh, who are now dog owners have you been able to reflect that at crufts this year Yes, we really are trying to. And, and I think you're absolutely right. During the pandemic, dog ownership has increased enormously. And as you say, lots of people who weren't f- perhaps as familiar as, with dogs as they would have once been, or new dog owners are not quite as familiar with the dogs that they, they're owning. Um, they've got a dog under circumstances that have been somewhat surreal. Uh, they've made a decision to get a dog because they've got time on their hands. They're now working from home, which is all great stuff because it does mean that dog ownership has been opened up to far more people now. But of course that has brought with it some challenges, most particularly because people haven't managed to give or haven't had time to give the same thought and the same long-term planning to getting a dog. So it's all a little bit a little bit quick. Now one of the things that we have done at Crust for many, many years is run our Discover Dogs um, area. And Discover Dogs is where the experts in any breed can actually come along. Uh, they are there and people can come along and talk to those experts about all the differences between the different breeds. Now in in what we try and do in that in that um, area is really it's really to attract new dog owners to answer those questions that perhaps should have been asked before but it is an opportunity for people who have got a dog of a certain breed to come talk to somebody who knows all about them we also have um, our rescue dogs at Crufts of course there's, there's an awful lot of rescue dogs of course people associate the kennel club with pedigree dogs and we do love that association but we are there for all dogs but there's everything that people can think there's lots of experts there in training and nutrition experts in behavioral behavior and 
all the, the, the areas where people can go to get real expert knowledge to help them through what may be some difficult times that they've had with their dog over the, over the last couple of years. Mm. There's some fun things too. What's happening that's fun that's this year? Well, I, I think my favourite, I, I love flyball. Um, in the main arena, we have the flyball event. And it's uh, you really have to see it to believe it because it really is one of the most exciting competitions. It's if, if, Effectively, it's relay racing for dogs, uh, but it's extremely competitive and it's great fun and the dogs absolutely love it. And it's actually really emotional because you, you, you get caught up with the event and it can be really emotional watching these dogs, you know, really running their hearts and the owners and dogs doing an activity together that they all thoroughly enjoy, of course. Yeah, I remember it well backstage. The noise before they go in to fly ball is just, they're so excited, aren't they? just want to get in there. And that's just the owners. <laughs> and they are, and they're, you're absolutely right. The, the dog's absolutely wonderful. We love it. Um, one of the questions about Crufts often is, is do the dogs enjoy it? And, and really, if you come along to Crufts, you, you'll see dogs enjoying every aspect of the show. And it's really incredible because um, you, a lot of people, there's lots of work that goes on into the build-up to Crufts. There's pre, pre-qualifying competitions that people take part in. Um, and so it's, it's really serious. And for us owners, we get very caught up in the importance of the event. But but fundamentally, the dogs absolutely love it and they thoroughly enjoy it. And of course, if dogs didn't enjoy going to crafts, then it would be no point in taking them because they simply wouldn't be successful. They've got to enjoy it to actually partake in the event. Celebrities. There are always a few celebrities. Anybody planned to see anybody popping their heads in? Well, do you know what? If, if I'm honest, um, I can't... I, I, there's a list of people who, who say that they're going to come, but we can never actually show So we don't really like to advertise the fact. But I know amongst the Kettle Club staff, we all have a competition each year for spotting the celebrities because some of them will come along unannounced. Um, and uh, so it's, it's really quite exciting for us. And, and we, we do know that dog ownership, it, it's, it's a great leveller. Um, I know that I've met lots of people through dogs and you can meet, go and, go and talk to perfect strangers if you've got a dog. It's something that we all have in common. And whether you're, I know that I've spoken to a number of celebrities and um, I'll just give you one example actually of a work colleague of mine who was at a football match and um, the, the uh, uh, footballer, football law football manager Harry Redknapp who was a Tottenham manager at the, at the time had a crowd of people waiting to talk to him and my friend just shouted how are your dogs Harry and he immediately went to my friend oh thanks for that yeah they're absolutely fine <laughs> and of course it's that one thing even someone like a person a celebrity like Harry Nebra, Harry, Harry Redknapp would actually want to talk about his dogs because it's yeah. something that's very important to him and it's an important part of all our lives. I know, and that's, that is what's so fascinating about crafts. You can walk past and you think, I know that person. And they're very unassuming. They could be at the top of their business. They could be a top actor, but they're just there for the love of the dog, aren't they? That's it. And I read a few years ago, um, you may remember that put um, a very well-known pop star, Chris Amu, who was lead singer with The Real Thing, he actually won Best in Show at Crufts. And I, I spoke to him and he says that brought him every bit as much pleasure as having a t- uh, you know, number one hit. So it is, it is a great level and people really do you know they get wrapped up in their dogs and it's something that they do and it's a very important part of their life and they it, it doing something with a dog that you is your pet and you live with as a as a companion and then you go and do this activity and it's successful it's a it's an absolute great thing it really is mm. And of course, there's a bit of dog shopping to be had too, isn't there? I, I must admit, I am uh, a sucker for that. There are so many things on display, aren't there? Some things are a bit surprising. I remember when the dog costumes first came out, that was a bit of a shock. 
seeing camouflage outfits for dogs, but um, there's an awful lot there, isn't there? There is. And the one piece of advice I always give people to come in, who are coming to crafts is, is wear a comfortable pair of shoes because there are, believe it or not, 25 acres of, of uh, space across the halls at, at, to the NEC. And m most of that is actually packed out with, with uh, areas to buy stuff for your dog. For, and it's literally everything you can possibly imagine. It is actually the UK's largest consumer show. So I would say to anyone, even if someone who doesn't own a dog, you would find plenty to fill your time and go and see things like, you know, shoes, clothes, coats, walking, all this sort of thing is actually there as well. It's everything for the dog and everything for the dog owner as well to actually enjoy with their dog. So, and every year I will see something that, that blows my mind. There are some sometimes some incredibly luxurious and, and um, expensive dog beds. Um, I, I, I spent last year, or the year before last, because we didn't have crafts last year, of course, but I... I remember spending £60 on the most beautiful collar for my dog. I never thought I'd spend £60 on a collar, <laughs> but I'm very pleased with it. And, and she wears it with joy and pleasure today. <laughs> you are one of those shoppers, Bill. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm, a, I'm a dog lover. I'm, a, I'm an absolute sucker for anything of my dogs. I, I love to share them with gifts. And, and, you know, I swear they know when I come back from crafts, they, I, I come, usually come back with a couple of bags full of stuff and they're there waiting for me and, and going through the bags with me. So I'm, I'm yeah. sure they actually know that I'm doing it for them. Thank you to Bill Lambert from the Kennel Club. You can find out more about crafts and get your tickets at crafts.org.uk. Last time on Dogs on Air, we talked about obesity in dogs and we chatted with Camilla Pegram from the Royal Veterinary College about her study into obesity and the risks to dogs from being overweight. Well, we're going to be talking about nutrition on a regular basis on Dogs on Air and today we catch up with Joe Ingalls, who's a vet and passionate nutrition expert. He's recently founded Vet Chef. Hi, Joe. Hi, Tracy. Tell us a little bit more about you. Well, I, as you said, I'm, I'm a vet and, and more latterly a, a nutritional expert, I, I, I would say. Um, but I started off um, as a vet and I suppose came to prominence in the programme Vets in Practice. For, for your um, older listeners out there will remember this programme back in the late 90s and early 2000s, a documentary about um, us vets from Bristol. So I did that for quite a few years and that, that led on to a sort of career as a TV vet doing Blue Peter and This Morning and The One Show, etc. I've, I've kind of done less of that recently, so I haven't really done much, um, so much media work recently because I've been focusing more on the nutrition and, and um, developing what's become Vet Chef. Now, you got involved in the commercial world of dog food. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, my first business was um, a brand called uh, Vet's Kitchen, uh, which is still up and running and is, is sold in supermarkets. And, you know, it's, it's been a successful um, brand. And the idea we, we had then was to, to really bring natural, um, scientifically based natural foods and make them widely available. Because back in, back in those days, back in 2008, nine, really you could only get those from specialist pet shops. And we wanted to bring those into Tesco and Sainsbury's and so on. And then after that, I had this brainwave of doing personalised dog food. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could tailor the food to individual dogs? And that idea eventually became Tails.com, um, which has ended up being a really successful um, sort of multinational brand. So that was kind of my background. And then, uh, you know, after I left Tails, I started thinking about, well, where can we take this next? And, and that's when I started looking into fresh homemade food. And, you know, that, that's where the idea for Vet Chef came from. 
So tell us more about VetChef. I was I remember just having the idea as a bit of a, a it's been something that's been floating in my mind for many years the idea of um, maybe doing some kind of device that would help people cook pet food at home so like a, an espresso machine but for making pet food. And then I suddenly had this idea of, well, um, as a keen sort of runner and cyclist, I use an app called Strava, which is all about data and uh, analysis and stuff. And I thought, well, if you bring those two together, you can create personalized recipes based on all the data and metrics of an individual dog. So it's specifically personalized to their requirements. And you pair that with a bit of hardware, which makes the process of cooking the food really easy. Then suddenly you've got um, a way of making healthy, homemade pet food uh, with fresh, natural, locally sourced ingredients, make it really easy for people. And that can become, you know, a, a really mainstream opportunity and, and way people can feed. The difficulty I've always come up against is the research you do, there's that kind of bit of nutrition that you can't necessarily give your dog. So there's the additional vitamins mm. and those kind of things. How are you getting over that problem? So we've built a team of, of nutritionists. So, you know, I'm not a trained nutritionist, but I've, I've sort of built up a lot of experience over the years. So um, I've teamed up with... Um, our now head of nutrition, Dr. Charlie Gray, who's also a vet, and she's a, a really experienced clinical nutritionist. And we also have um, two other nutritionists on board as well. So they've been instrumental in developing the both the recipes and the algorithms, which mean that we can um, create recipes which really do deliver uh, all the requirements that an individual dog um, needs. But to do that, what we do is we tailor them, tailor them with supplements because there are some nutrients which it is surprisingly hard to deliver for a dog from a natural fresh uh, diet because um, for example calcium you know unless a dog is eating bones then it's really hard to get enough calcium from a diet they have different requirements for calcium than, than people they need a lot more of it um, and you know the advantage of a raw fed diet is that you can incorporate those those raw meaty bones and that's a great way of, of doing it but for people who prefer to home cook then you need to provide the calcium in other ways. And you can do it with eggshells and, and other ways. But um, we decided to, to create these supplements, which could fill lots of other nutritional holes, things like iodine, um, copper, some of the B vitamins, things that can be quite hard to get in the right quantities. And it meant we can be much more detailed and sort of forensic about how we approach the nutrition and be very precise with how we're supporting dogs with their nutritional requirements. Yes, because that, that is the problem. I mean, I presume years ago when people used to have farm dogs, were, you know, way, way back, farm dogs, they used to feed the scraps, but they also used to feed the bones. And these days, I suppose, if you live in urban environments, the chances of getting a bone from the butcher are fairly small, aren't yes, they? Yes, they are. And also, obviously, if you, you know, you don't want to feed cooked bones because they're dangerous. So, um, you know, you can feed raw, raw bones, you know, that, that can work. But for people who are wanting to feed a, a cooked diet, then, you know, some of those nutrients, particularly calcium, have to come from, from other elements. And the other sort of um, thing we realised as developing the, these recipes and, and supplements was there was a real opportunity to help uh, dogs who have even more specialist nutritional needs. So these are dogs with kidney failure or, or liver disease or pancreatitis or IBD, all those kind of clinical conditions, which currently the only way you can manage them is um, by using a prescription diet. So, you know, your, your Hills KD or your Purina, whatever it is which are fine and they're great products and they deliver really precise nutrition, but a lot of dogs don't like them and a lot of owners really prefer not to feed them. And at the moment, you know, from my experience as a vet and, and other vets, um, there isn't really an alternative. So if a client comes into a vet and says, well, 
I've got, my, my dog needs this um, nutritional support, but he won't eat this, this particular product, then the vet just shrugs and goes, well, nothing else I can do. So we thought, well, there's an opportunity to help these people. And we've developed the, the Vet Chef clinical part of our, our package where we create recipes which um, provide exactly the same level of nutritional support as those prescription diets um, when they're married up with our supplements. So, so really providing a viable alternative for people to support the nutrition of their dogs when they've got those clinical health problems. So are you personally moving away from the dried food? Because obviously the, there are new books that are coming out all the time. Which some of them are saying don't feed dry food. Some of them are saying do. There's the whole raw diet. Um, it's getting very confusing, isn't it, out there? So yeah. where, do, where do you sit? Where have you decided? What do you feed your puppy? Well, yeah, my, my dog, she's not a puppy anymore. She's 18 months old. But I mean, she, she gets a home-cooked diet every day just because... Um, you know, I actually, I've, I enjoy doing it. I've got it down um, to a sort of bit of a fine art, so it doesn't take up much time. It's relatively cost effective, and I think it's the best thing for her. But I'm, I'm not about to say that any particular way of feeding is, is the best or the only way you can do it. And I think um, kibble can, can work perfectly well for, for lots of dogs. And if you just have to look at the 10 million or so dogs there are in this country, most of whom are fed on kibble, and they're generally leading a pretty healthy life. So you know, I'm not about to say that no one should feed kibble. I just think in a few years' time, I think we're going to look back on the era of kibble and processed foods as being a sort of stepping stone to better ways to feed our dogs. And people will be a bit taken back. You know, really, we used to feed our dogs just on bags of identical brown pellets, you know, that have got an 18-month shelf life. And it just seems like you wouldn't feed your children processed ready meals every day or, you know, processed food in that way. And whilst, you know, they can survive on it, it's probably not optimal. So for me, I think, you know, the world of pet nutrition is moving away from that. And you just have to look at some of the brands out there doing the, the fresh meals that are delivered. And yes, they're expensive, but they certainly offer a, a better standard of ingredients, I believe. But I think that home cooking can take it a step beyond that because it can be totally personalised to your dog's requirements, um, you know, as opposed to being a one size fits all. And, you know, cost-wise, it can be an awful lot cheaper to prepare it yourself than it would be to, to get, get a, a pre-prepared frozen meal delivered. Thanks to Joe Ingalls. A really interesting idea. Find out more at vetchef.com. Now, the Muddy Dog Challenge. Well, I've always believed that a muddy dog is a happy dog and I have the endless supply of dog towels just to prove it. Now, one of the UK's best-known animal charities, Battersea, is raising money in a challenge involving humans, dogs and mud. I think I'm right. To tell us more, here's Jasmine Monk, who's a Senior Challenge Events Officer. Tell me more, Jasmine. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me uh, on here today. Um, yes, yeah, so... You explained it absolutely perfectly. Uh, the Muddy Dog Challenge is a so 2.5 or 5 kilometre route and it's an obstacle course that uh, people can take on with their dog by their side. Um, it's been running for, so this will actually be the sixth year that we've run the challenge. Um, so it's very well sort of well established now and we have um, about uh, up to about 18 obstacles along the 5k route. So it's um, you know all different types of obstacles. Um, there's, as you say, mud is the main, main part of it but we also have lots of like agility obstacles water obstacles muddy obstacles so yeah it's lots of fun lots of um brightly colored balls and pits and natural obstacles man-made so it's 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 yeah it's lots of fun 
So where does it all take place? So we have uh, nine events taking place around the country. And can anybody, literally anybody, compete? Or do you have to be a bit fit? Um, anybody can compete, really. We have people running, we have people walking. Most people do a bit of both. But in, it's all about having fun. It's not about, you know, keep, keeping fit or trying to do it at, you know as to a certain speed or anything like that it's literally just about having fun having a lovely day out with your dog and raising money for Battersea it's all all very fun and light-hearted and absolutely no pressure um, but you know if you go on the website you can see all the different the pictures of the different obstacles to see what they're all about and the different names and the types of things but now it's been happening before do you have a sort of fundraising goal is there some you know are you you're looking to get to something particular um so the target uh, for this year is uh over 850,000 across all of the events um wow. which uh we are really really hoping to get to so yeah it would be fantastic to have you know lots of people taking part so we can you know raise the much needed funds um for Battersea which is what the event is all about but where will that money go what does the the fundraising provide for uh, so Battersea is uh, sort of the ma- the sort of main area is about the we have three centres. So Battersea, uh, most people think of just Battersea um, in, as in the area in Battersea in London, but we also have a centre in Windsor and a centre in Brands Hatch, Hatch in Kent. Um, so the money sort of will we you know be spread around the different areas, and that's sort of you know for general welfare um, of the dogs that are coming in and supporting the dogs um, sort of along their way until they are rehomed that's not everything we do we also um which not everybody sort of knows about we also support um other rescues as well um so we give grants out to other rescues um like smaller rescues so we help them we also have uh, what's called a Battersea Academy um which is sort of where we because we are obviously so well known and so well established we um sort of help other other smaller rescues so you know provide our knowledge and help other rescues so obviously fundraising will most like is for Battersea but also we are helping others as well so it's really nice we often will sort of support smaller rescues that may be sort of closer or down the road to where where people live as well as Battersea. Yeah it sounds really valuable actually and, and you have obviously a wealth of experience in in rehoming and all the things that go with it. Yes exactly so yeah it's it's great that we can help help others out as well as obviously keep you know some of the money um, for you know for the animals at Battersea as well. So my final question, it's a girly kind of question. Oh, yes. Uh, what do you wear for these things? I need, <laughs> I need to get myself ready. I need to get my dog ready. Do they, do they need leg warmers on their paws? What do they wear? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> you know, the logistics is, you know, you need to know these kind of things. So when you uh, sign up to uh, the Muddy Dog Challenge, um, part of your registration includes, we will send every participant a T-shirt to wear. Um, and then the dogs get a little very cute little dog bandana to wear Um, so the dogs will just need their dog bandana then as a participant it's just it depends when the when in the year your event is but either keeping warm or you know keeping but it's about being comfortable so sort of gym leggings jogging bottoms whatever sort of comfortable for you for you to move in and then the most important thing is Mm. trainers with very tight laces because people often lose their shoes in the mud as you can imagine (laughs) Um, so yeah it's just yeah important to have thick clothes you don't mind getting a little bit mucky and shoes that aren't going to fall off is the most most important thing well it sounds great to me uh, and uh, I, I urge everybody to take part it's a fantastic charity and thank you very much for joining me uh, Jasmine and good luck with the muddy dog challenge thank you so much well I think it's just got to be done <laughs> if you want to register it's muddydog.battersea.org.uk That's all for this edition of Dogs on Air. 
As usual, I welcome your comments and ideas on the podcast. You can contact me via the website dogprofessor.co.uk. Just click on the podcast feedback form on the contacts page. Join me next time for another edition of Dogs On Air. Happy dog walking! <laughs>